Shut up and sit down. everyone. I want to say I'm sorry for the short notice. Um, I had an option for it to either do 10.30 or 11 and uh, Julia's super bored so <laughs> I offered to do podcasts with her and those were our options um, 10.30 or 11 and I didn't want to have to wait a whole 45 minutes. So my impatience equaled your, sh- your short notice. Um, so sorry about that. Uh, <clears throat> my chat room got real empty and now it's filling back up. I guess people are refreshing. Um, I wanted to, uh, I put something on my Facebook. And for those of you who are in um, a particular face group, Facebook group this week, you saw a conversation take place about um, the myth of constructive criticism. Well, this person who posted this little rant didn't think it was a myth. It is. It's a myth. There's constructive feedback, but there's no such thing as constructive criticism. It doesn't exist. It's a fucking unicorn. Um, and honestly, most people in fandom aren't qualified to give it. All you can do is nitpick people's typos. I don't care if that makes you mad. <laughs> That, but I posted it on my Facebook about how you can be a force, you can be a positive force in the world. You can um, impact people in in very good, positive ways, or you can be an asshole, and that's a choice that you make. You can either be a good person, or you can be a person who gets on YouTube and makes fun of other people's writing. Yeah, you can be that kind of asshole. Or you can be a good person who interacts in fandom in a very positive way and gives back to other writers and gives their time and their attention and good cheer to other writers. Or you can be an asshole who gets on Facebook groups and bitches because they feel like they're entitled to give criticism um, at large to the world and we should all be required to listen to their fucking bullshit. And if you know this person and she doesn't listen to my podcast, you feel free to give her this fucking link so she can listen to what I just said. <clears throat> and that's all I got to say about that. Jilly. Hello. That whole thing you did with the, in the middle last week when you told me, because you know I have that math problem, that number problem, that I have to look for the in the middle, it totally works. Now I don't have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it totally worked. Cause, and I think the thing is, that's the only numbers that your number, that your number, literally, it is the only numbers you have in common. Are those first three? Yep. The rest of them are totally different, and it didn't make any sense that I kept fucking it up. But yeah, you helped out, so congratulations. You <laughs> you solved a mystery of a year in the making, or a problem a year in the making. It 
you know, the thing is, is I don't understand people who feel like they're entitled to inflict their negativity and their ugliness on other people. But more than that, that they believe you are required to listen to them. And, and there's this mentality in that thread that just because you post it online, you better be prepared to suck it up and deal with it. Uh, no. And there's also the notion that if you don't deal with it, like you delete their comments or you don't post ignore on a public them. archive or you ignore them, that you're not tough enough. Oh, honey, no, that's not it at all. <laughs> I dare anybody to call me a fucking snowflake. <laughs> Because it's not about that. I just don't want to put up with your bullshit, people. Because I don't care what you think. And I don't want to waste my time having an argument with you about shit that's never going to go your way. I am never going to agree with you. I'm never going to listen to your opinion. The requirement that you listen to them and you find value in their opinion. I was 125% tempted to copy and paste a story off AO3 in the middle of the night and edit it and send it to her. I didn't. But I was tempted. Well, people who... She's open to that, right? She did. I mean, she says that anybody who posts should be open to getting constructive criticism. Um, when you throw, when you throw most people who throw the gauntlet down like that don't write, okay? But if you do write, if you have written something, you are really, really, really throwing down a challenge for people to go and look at your writing and find it not up to par. I mean, it, you had better be on fucking point. For you to be out there telling other people they have to listen to to listen to your to your shit, because for somebody who's saying that that their opinion is so valuable that people should have to listen to it, I would expect that when I go look at their writing, that I am going to find Jane Austen in the rough over here, right? No, no, that's not what I found at all. Right. Like, my grandma was fond of saying, don't throw rocks in a glass whorehouse. I'm just... Until you have abandoned all use of the word girthy, you don't get to offer an opinion. (laughs) Okay. Can we go too far? Does that mean? I'm not trying to... Maybe. It's a matter of um, perspective. And I don't think that... My apple didn't even fall off that tree. What are you talking about? Uh, It's still dangling there by the the stem. Uh, It... Just don't be an asshole. Just don't be. I mean, if somebody really thinks that, really, really, really believes, there's several things. If somebody really, really believes that their opinion would be really, really, really valuable 
to me. A, I don't want it in public. Because my shit's, for starters, my shit's done, okay? But if they think they have something constructive to say about my craft overall, they're they're going to have to actually prove to me that they're qualified to give me that opinion. So there'd be like a I'm vetting process. TV. Yeah, there'd be a vetting process. So they'd be like, if this is a comedy and goes, it's to be weird if this weird circumstance were to happen. They're like, I really think that, that there's something I could point out to you about your 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 story that might help you in the future. I'd be like, Can oh, really? Your... Well, let's see your resume. <laughs> I'm going to need a resume, a sample of your writing, and a sample of your beta work. But make and sure we'll you talk. email that other writer and get their permission before you send me your beta work. Right. It's just, it was so... I'm going to need a letter from them, too. I'm going to need, like, two references from BNF. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was like, because most people, most people who are thinking they, they're going to give you feedback on your craft, what they're really about to give you is talk to you about punctuation or a typo. That's 99, 95% of the time that's it. They really are not – they think that they're going to give you some kind of feedback about pace, and really it's just a thing that they didn't like in the story. Um, you, they didn't like a plot choice, and they're calling it pacing, and it's like, oh, shut up. Um, it's that's because they don't really understand – that, that, Plot choice is 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 outside your purview, you know that that's the author's purview. So even if you were like um, qualified oh, for to give sake. me, oh, I don't even. Asher, go sit in the corner. We haven't even been on the air ten minutes, and you're already in the corner. I should, should probably just start there. <laughs> but yeah, from now on, you just go sit in the corner when we start. But you know, you know, I it is not my intention to pick on this particular person on Facebook who did this. Although, um from her own perspective, when you put yourself out there on the internet, you have to expect a negative response. That's that's her argument. Um Yeah, it's, it's honestly a good thing I wasn't actually in that group. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I I only <laughs> I I have I have I you know I I was a little bit on the fence because I I felt like, like I don't want to I don't want to like torment somebody who is clearly young dumb and thinks they know everything, um, and really doesn't have enough experience in their craft in life in anything really. And I'm not criticizing young people, but every mistake she's making and what she's saying just screams inexperience. And it wasn't about her youth, it was about inexperience. So all of the things that she was yammering about, all I was seeing is lack of experience in what she was saying. And what I see in her writing is lack of experience. But my any sympathy I might fetus, have had fetus, to write... Fetus. Huh? Fetus, 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 fetus. <laughs> yes. Any sympathy I might have had dried up when I find out she's got a YouTube channel where she reads people's writing out loud that she finds to be substandard. I mean, and that so blew my brain that I just, I was like, I mean, I'm not going to give her a name or give a link to anything like that to anybody, but I mean, I just, I, like, my sympathy dried up. It was like, okay, I, sometimes you just bring bad shit on yourself. Too. I was like, okay, that's the person she's choosing to be right now. And and when you look at it, when you look at her, uh, her Facebook wall, um, 
uh, not her wall, but her page, uh, it's clear that she intended to make money off um, off YouTube, and they changed their ad. Um, you know, the ad apocalypse happened over on YouTube, <coughs> and they changed how ad revenue is um, calculated, and they also changed what kind of videos can actually earn ad revenue. Um, and it doesn't take much for your work to get demonetized. So you can look at that and say, okay, she was going to use other people's fiction that she thought was badly written to make money. My whole face just twitched. Yeah, I just, <laughs> like, it's like everything inside me up. It's like, ooh. Her method of making money, her choice, was to abuse other writers. That's the choice that she made. And then go on to Facebook and say that she won't even read writers who post comments about how they, um, she actually, I think she actually, didn't she actually, because I'm not in the group, so I had got saw the post secondhand. Next, she actually says that authors who say they don't want feedback make her want to vomit or something like that. I don't know. It was some kind of weird thing about. I think about, that's like that, but. Um, it, it's just it's such means, an egregious offense to her that, that it's like they shouldn't be allowed to exist in fandom if they don't want her opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't consider myself a big-name fan of Harry Potter. Um, I don't actually like want to consider myself a big-name fan in any fandom, but I've been told I don't have a choice when it comes to Stargate. Okay, fine, you win. But um, in Harry Potter, I'm not. Uh, please don't tell me I'm wrong about that. <laughs> so I don't know if she's ever actually read me. Now, someone who sent me screenshots believes the whole thread was about me. I don't think it was. Um I do think that maybe my attitude is infectious on this particular principle because I have seen other writers copy and paste verbatim off my front page about not accepting constructive not accepting criticism of any kind and no non-consensual beta. I've seen that on people's websites, so I've seen people do that. And um, so even if it wasn't about me, it was probably about one of my minions. <laughs> yeah, could be. Well, and a lot of minions are in that group, so they were trying to reason with her. <laughs> I just, you can't reason with somebody that's that. And so the point is not to bash this person. I don't, I'm not interested in bashing her. Um, but this does come, this, this is a example of um, really profoundly bad behavior in fandom. Um, and this kind of uh, attitude in fandom can create situations where very new writers go away because they, they can't handle it. They aren't as robust in their personality as me who, you know, because I you know, a lot of people say, oh, you must be so thin-skinned you don't take... I just don't think you're capable of it. If I thought my readers were the most... I love you guys. I do. I love my readers. I, I, I love all you bitches. But when you open your process up to a whole bunch of people, you invite profoundly bad habits. We talked about um, 
how things are contagious, like the one-sided phone call um, in NCIS. And we're looking at you, NCIS. Um, and, you know, tropes and cliches and how they move around the fandom and how ideas get really popular. Well, it's also true when you let a whole bunch of people in your process, it can fuck you up. You can start doing things you would never have done before. I read this one author, bless her heart, she, sometimes she slips into um, present tense. And I'll overlook it. But if I read her too much, I'll do it. <laughs> Jilly, you've seen it. You've seen mm-hmm. me do it in my first and be like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> It'll be too I swear sometimes I can tell when you've read a new Nora Roberts book, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, head hop, head hop, head hop, head hop. Yep. Because Nora Het Roberts has never met a head she won't hop into. Including the cat. <laughs> You'll see some debate. I'm like, how many points of view you got in this paragraph? Stop it. <laughs> and Nora, street, I'll bet you a Nora a Nora book was released a month before. <laughs> JD Rock came out with a new book. Yay! Oh shit, Kara. <laughs> like, we're screwed. Kara should be head hopping for the next two weeks. <laughs> I, you know what though. Um, Asher says, early in the fandom, I almost quit because of someone accusing me wrongly of doing a Mary Sue. If someone accuses me of doing a Mary Sue, I'm going to fucking own it. It's going to go full Mary Sue. Full. She'll have fucking laser beams beaming out of her head by the end of that story. Because, test me. Hold my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Which is exactly how hold my coffee happened, by the way. Because someone's I mean, like, oh, please don't write up female McKay. I can't stand, oh, bitch, please, come on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I had ten episodes plotted three hours later. Currently, I've got two cups on my desk. It's, it's the long podcast. Well, actually, I have a hot coffee, um, which I'm currently Probably drinking. better not have cold coffees. I also have a cold one in my um, in my Yeti. I I can't drink and write, so there would be no beer. Weird things happen with my writing when I'm under the influence of things, especially things, things. Things. But you know, the thing is, is that when you invite a whole bunch of people into your process, like you see very young writers doing in fandom, oh, I don't know where to go next. Let me know in the comments. It creates a situation where you are no longer in control of the direction of your story. And you open up your craft to um, people who are simply not qualified to be involved in your process. Yeah, and the... It's just, and you get into that habit, and then if you let's say that that's your habit, and I see I see so many stories stall out because writers go down the path that their readers are encouraging them down, or where their most enthusiastic commenter is pushing them down, and then they stall out because they don't know where to go because the reader doesn't know where to take it either. They have all these great ideas, but they don't understand what how to craft a story. 
So then you've got potholes and conflicting information and inconsistencies, and you've got no climax to the story, and you have no idea how to approach the getting to an end, and so the story just goes bit fizzle. It's just like, okay, well, you can just see it happening. And you go look at these comment threads, and there's all these super, super, super excited. One time I actually was a couple times I read through comment threads where there's a super excited commenter. Like all these weird things that are happening in the story were coming like basically from one or two commenters. And then the commenter doesn't understand how to craft a story, though. So they're basically introducing all this stuff, but then the author doesn't know how to write anymore because this is the creative environment. Instead of doing this brainstorming process with other writers and crafting a story and writing it, they do this thing in comments in on AO3 or fanfiction.net or whatever, and then they this is the process they know, and they get stuck. They're stymied. They don't know how to function. And it's just like a worst habit you can pick up is creativity by committee like that, especially non-writer committee. And don't get me wrong. Readers play a very valuable um, role. And let's be honest. If I didn't want the attention, I wouldn't have a website, much less three. I mean, I'm. I enjoy feedback. I enjoy um, uh, knowing that you like what I'm putting out there and that you're excited about what I'm doing. And I especially like it when I do something really cool in my story and someone gets it, someone catches it. Like recently, someone caught the foreshadowing of the Wraith Queen that I thread through all out of Sentinels of Atlantis, and I was like, yes. She got it! Yay! And that one person was all... I mean, yay, I'm done. Okay, thank you. I mean, that was six months of work of my life, and one person made it awesome. (laughs) So I'm not saying that readers don't play a role, um, but it needs to be a defined, limited role when it comes to your creative process, because... Yeah, creating by community is is not a good place to be. No. It it doesn't stretch your mind. It it doesn't mature your craft. And this is a story. This is about craft maturation anyway. Um, it, it isn't. You need to be able to spread your wings and fly, and you need to be able to. I don't mind when someone points out the awesome stuff in my fic or they ask me a question. I don't mind questions on my own site. Um, I do mind when someone says, oh, well, I'm not reading this shit because I don't read BDSM. I don't care if you're going to read it. I care about the people who did read it, who think my pleasure houses are awesome and who are trying to figure out which which pleasure house they would end up in like at Hogwarts. Bless your heart. <laughs> that was a fucking adorable comment. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, seriously, someone commented recently on Ties at Bind that they had gone through the pleasure houses in Ties at Bind like, like they were going to get sorted at Hogwarts trying to figure out which one they would be in. <laughs> it was fucking it adorable. Test. Which one would you be? But no, I don't mind that kind of interaction. I love that when you get it, when you catch the foreshadowing, when um, 
you uh, notice something that I've that I've done because I put a lot of effort into that. You know, my little um, Easter eggs and um, various uh, foreshadowing projects and threads, and especially the project like Sentinels of Atlantis, which is fucking huge. It's it's really validating to get that kind of feedback and to know that that work. Um, resonated with you. Um, what I don't want to hear is about my fucking typos. <laughs> no. If, uh, uh. No. The typo thing, it's like, I, I had somebody write me about, uh, they had caught, they had caught a, a, um, I had changed something and I had forgotten to change it in the other place that occurred in the story. And they caught the inconsistency. And they had made a comment on my site, and I just said, okay, thank you. And they said, well, I noticed a bunch of other stuff like this. Do you mind if I send it to you? It was a little bit weird, but they had caught something legitimate that was a consistency issue. And I said, okay, go ahead and send it to me. Everything, it was it was at least three printed pages of um, commas, um, apostrophes, Plural possessive stuff. I mean, nitpicky shit. I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed. I said, I'm never saying. Next time, there's going to be screening criteria when somebody says, do you mind if I send you? I'm going to be like, you had better send me an abstract explaining what it is you want to do, what your qualifications are. (laughs) Two references. And the reason why you think a story that's completed would benefit from me having to spend a bunch of writing time going back and re-editing it. Well, the thing is, is with a complete work, I'm I'm done. Like, the, the first season of Sentinels of Atlantis is done. The first season of Harry Potter and Soulmate Bond is done. These are done deals. And so, you pointing out parts of my craft that you thought I did really well and, like, you know, is one thing. Guessing my plot is another <laughs> Asking me a question about whether or not that dark shadow in Peter's mind was the queen, that's cool. Speculating on who's going to be Miko's sentinel, not cool. Although, if you haven't figured out who Miko's sentinel is yet, you need to go fucking read that shit again. <laughs> because I think you foreshadowed that pretty well. But... Foreshadowed the fuck out of that. And if you don't get it, you need to go read again because it couldn't be more clear. <clears throat> Literally, it couldn't be more clear. Um, but, you know, there is a difference between say, oh, hey, I thought you did that falling action really, really well. And giving me a list of things you would prefer that I'd done or a list of things you wish that I would do next. Which is the most frustrating piece of feedback that I've seen on Rough Trade um, during this particular um, um, challenge is people um, basically inserting a wish list of events that they want to see in these episodes that people are producing. No, they're not being yeah. approved. They're being deleted stuck in the trash can, but it happens over and over and over again. And, and this and kind of interaction it, is really inappropriate. Yeah, and some people and that some people phrase it in a way that's so enthused. It's like they they assume they know what's going to happen in the story, and so they're enthusing on all these things that are coming up. Oh, I can't wait to see this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And sometimes I haven't read the stories people are commenting on, so I can't tell. Like, is this comment like the person has foreshadowed this stuff? But sometimes I have read the story, and I know there's no foreshadowing for any of that. Um, and sometimes it's my own story, and I go, "Hey, none of that stuff's happening." Delete, delete, delete. Because it's just, 
you know, I mean, it said they're really super enthusiastic, and they have made an assumption about where the story's going. But sometimes, and you know, I'm at most of, most of the time, as a, as a and from the writer's perspective, people jumping to conclusions about where I'm going doesn't bother me. Um, so for a long time, it never hit me that that would be a problem in the writing process. People jumping to conclusions that are wrong. But I was struggling with the story last year. It was, last year was the first time it happened that it really threw me off. And I was struggling with the story, and I was struggling with the direction of it, and people were doing that thing where they were, you know, enthusing of where the story was going, and it wasn't at all what I intended. And it really threw me, and it actually just called like, me out completely. It called me out completely. You start to wonder if um, you're, you're going in the wrong direction, or hey, you have in- indicated that that's going to happen. Um And it can be really, it can it can really throw you off. And some writers may sit there thinking they think, oh, you know, these comments wouldn't bother me. I wish they just get approved. But the thing is, you never know when it's going to bother you. And the point of rough trade is that if there's a chance it's going to throw you off, we're not going to approve it. That's just the way it is, you know, because we just don't want anybody's process to get stalled out because you know someone enthused about the wrong thing. Um, and certainly some people are just out and out nitpicking. We've had a lot of that, too, this time. It's people just going, oh, by the way, you got this detail wrong. It's like, whoa. I really don't wrong? fucking care if the Wizards are a football team or a basketball right. team. Just move on, <clears> people. <throat> but so we, um, but this, but this the harder ones, I mean, it is a little bit hard to delete because they're enthusing so positively about the story. But it's like that. this is what you're enthusing about is all your speculation of the future. Which actually, then, when you look at it in that way, that they're not enthusing about what was written, they're enthusing about what they think is going to be written, that it actually then is less flattering. Because they're giving a wish list of what they would like to see. And this kind of behavior in fandom, um, unfortunately, is really prevalent. I mean, it's just out there everywhere. It's just blah, blah, blah. That especially, oh, I can't wait until this happens in your story. It's such a common, and with story, and because my stories are done, um, rough trade is a really different environment because I'm the stuff. This stuff is, and and sometimes you know, um, sometimes people don't know what's going on with me behind the scenes. Sometimes something is rock solid in its plot um, because I'm, you know, one thing I like about rough trade is I don't have to explain to the readers what's going on. You know, not not I don't have to explain my process. But sometimes things are rock solid, and, you know, I know exactly what's coming, and it's boom, 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 and it's out. And other times, it's like, you know, it's death by inches. It's being eaten to death by minnows. It's terrible. You know, you're just really struggling, and you're having to be patient with yourself and and figure out, stop and pause, and, you know, there's this kind of sense of pressure. You're fighting the sense of pressure that you're in a challenge, but, you know, you need to kind of pause and let things percolate and... um and and then that's the time when you don't need those kind of comments. So um, when my stories are done on my own site and people are all enthusing about blah, 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 that they might see in the future, which I just see as prodding for a sequel, I just roll my eyes and I prove the comment and I move on because I don't really care. The story's done. I don't care about people prodding about what all else I could do with the series. Um, but on Rough Trade, it's completely different because... Um, people don't know where I'm at with that story. They don't know if I'm struggling with it. They don't know if I'm, 
going in a completely different direction. They don't know if I'm second-guessing my own decision or what's going on, and the wrong comment in that environment can throw you off. So that's why we're just super careful about what gets approved. And because rough trade is transitory, um, sometimes it's just not worth it. You know, okay, do I do I edit this or just suck the trash? Because <laughs> it's only going to be up there for three months anyway. Yeah, and some things you know, it's like this is going to change dramatically. When I, it's some things you know, like when it's done, it's like I'm going to do I'm going to do a grammar edit. I'm going to do a grammar and punctuation edit on this, and it's this is rock solid. And sometimes you go. Man, when this is finished, people aren't even going to know this is the same story. <laughs> because I didn't just, even you know what. No, it's just like you know. It's just like it's like the it's like the start of something maybe, and it's just got it's got a, it's got a, it needs more time in the it needs more that bun needs more time in the oven before it's going to be a, a word baby. Um, so it's just, and and I I I think that's what's one of the things that is good about rough trades. We're talking about you know, maturing your process, it I think gives people the, an opportunity to work in a creative environment and work on maturing their process where they because it is it is a step it is an interesting step in maturing your process to put a rough draft out there because there's something about getting it away getting it out of your hands and just kind of letting that fly that it was an interesting step in my own creative development. Um, and I never regret it, even if I decide not to finish it or post it or whatever at the end of the day. I never regret it. So um, I think people just need to just kind of, fans need to chill. But, you know, I had an interesting, um, somebody had asked me not to write something. I don't even remember. It was something I was talking about. Oh, no, it was, a hor- it was um, um, somebody had pe- somebody had read a Restoration um, and were bugging me about a sequel, and I had just commented to them that um, I had considered a sequel at one point, but I didn't really have a fleshed-out idea for it, so it wasn't really something that was ever... That was a Harry Potter story. And someone else wrote... Somebody wrote me about that and said, I, I really hope you don't write any more Harry Potter stories. And I thought that was really intrusive, and I was like, what, what, what? And I was like... Um, I'm really not really up to you. And she said, well, I just hate the idea that you'd read write, that you would write something that I can't read. How fucking selfish is that? Right? And I was like, wow. And it's just, it was phrased in such a sweet little, I hate that you would write something that I can't read. Like, oh, poor me. It'd be terrible. Like, a, you can. You're, nothing's preventing you, pumpkin, from stepping outside of your NCIS bubble and reading Harry Potter but or Stargate Atlantis or whatever. But she just, you know, Harry Potter is just too far out there and, the words, you know, I'd hate that you write something else that I can't read. It's <laughs> like, oh, oh, sunshine, come on. <sighs> I, I have encountered readers who, oh, or you know, will be like, oh, well, I don't read this, but I'll, but, but you wrote it, so I'll go try. I have popped many a fandom cherry in that in that respect, um, which is unfortunately because I do have a very defined headcanon for different fandoms that I write in, um, can cause problems for people who go in and they read what might have been or Sentinels of Atlantis, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to go watch Stargate on Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or wherever it currently is, and then they they, they email me and ask me when Matt Shepard's going to be on the show. 
You're like, uh, he's a directional character. That didn't happen. Um, (coughs) (coughs) So, yeah. That happens. Um, And uh, sometimes I encounter people who uh, confuse my headcanon with actual canon because they don't actually read um, they didn't read Harry Potter or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, if if a writer writes something you don't want to read, don't read it. <laughs> it's, I you're know not, this is an amazingly surprising concept, but that's how that I know. works. It, they're not going to be heartbroken. It's it just, that's... <laughs> the, pe- the, peop- the people closest to me creatively sometimes don't read the shit I write. Guess what? I survived... <laughs> Because <laughs> not everything appeals to them, and you know what? It's not supposed to because I don't write for them. Right? I know it's a shocking concept <laughs> that I write for me. <laughs> and you should write for you. Your first and most important audience for your for your work is you. Because if you're not happy with what you're writing, then you're not going to write well. If it's not entertaining to you or you know, you're not um, really involved in, in what you're writing, then you're just going to be, you know, and honestly, when it comes to fandom, what's the point? Right. Really, what's the point? I mean, maybe if you have to make yourself a little bit unhappy to please an editor so that you can make $15,000, okay, maybe I'm being a little bit crazy with the money there, but whatever. If that's what you have to do, okay, fine. We we maybe you've been that, but if, if when it comes to fan fiction, oh my god! If you're doing something that's making you unhappy, that's just I don't understand it. And if you're, we've talked about it before, and I I have no criticism. This is no criticism for people who write whips and post as they write. Okay, it's just you are in a remarkably vulnerable position when it comes to reader interaction. That somebody who posts completed works. This is not a plotter pantser thing because some pantsers post completed works too. Yeah. Um, we have several pantsers who post completed works outside of, except outside of either Evil Author Day and stuff. So it's not about this is not a plotter pantser thing. This is a posting as you write kind of thing, which is um, which is a very uniquely fandom thing. You know, fandom. This, this is something that doesn't exist out in the publishing world. This is posting a chapter. <laughs> Getting feedback from your readers, that pretty much... I think Olathonomy kind of did that for a while, but that was kind of a a very different kind of thing. Um, But you're in a very vulnerable position with your readers if you post as you write. And if you're not prepared for what that is, what that's going to be like, and to just kind of police your... Because you will have more freedom in your craft the more rigid you are in your boundaries with your readers. Um, you know, it's not about being mean to your readers or anything like that. It's just about making sure that if you're going to post as you go, that you know where that line between you and them is and that where they are allowed into your process and where they are not. And, I mean, I just don't let readers into my process. I mean, except maybe, I mean, like, if I wanted to, like, I think Kira posted a poll once to say I'm a baby. I might do that. That was funny, you know, four names with the minions pick. <laughs> yeah. I did, a casting couch. I, I did casting couches for um, Matt Shepard and Chase Harris. They were both reader cast. Um, 
Because originally I didn't well, have anybody well cast done, by readers, the part. Well done. <laughs> but it wasn't like they were they were already full fledged characters in my stories and they were like I had this casting page and they weren't listed and they were like, Well, who's playing this part? And I'm like, Well, who do you want to play this part? <laughs> and then we had a casting couch. And it was kinda of fun. Um, but that's that's different. Um that's yeah. entirely different. Um, than um, inviting someone into um, <clears throat> deciding what should, your plot points what should, or deciding whatever. What should, what should the baby name be is way different than um, what should my my pairing be. You know, it's just that's it's a completely different mind. I've seen people writing a story where they're setting up where it could be two or three different parent the main their main character could be like let's I'm this I'm throwing a random example out I haven't actually read this this I'm extrapolating I'm kind of camouflaging the phantom I'm actually talking about where Tony could be with um, Gibbs or McGee or Palmer and then and I just broke my own brain uh, and then oh God. putting I... a poll at the end of one of the chapters and going vote on who you want the pairing to be. And then when the when the vote comes back McGee, they go, okay, you guys voted for McGee, when they really wanted everybody to vote for Gibbs, and apparently nobody did. And then they're super disappointed, so they write two more chapters and then stop writing because they just can't get away from their OTP. And it was like, well, why did you go down this stupid path? <laughs> like, I really didn't want to write Tony McGee. I, I realize I'm not happy with it. But I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, this actually happened in a different fandom from NCIS. I'm just using NCIS. But as, I'm sure it's happened in NCIS too because it's, it, I've, I've seen that in Harry Potter. I've, I've seen it in Stargate. Um, surely it's probably happened in NCIS too. Um, but when you, but it's a perfect example of when you invite people into your process um, that you invite uh, a, a level of creative conflict that you might not be able to deal with. Yeah, and it, it, it's just it's not. And if if you get to that point in your story, and this is the patience and the maturity thing, and if you're going to get to that point in your story and you're stuck, take a break. Go talk to another writer. Have a latte. Get your nails done. I mean, do something to get your mind in a different space. Plot something else. Get your you know. Sometimes when we obsess on something, we don't. We don't. We can't actually work on it. It's like I could not solve this one plot problem. Forever, I was working on it, working on it, working on it, and I should have just talked to some other writers about it. But I wasn't really entrenched with a writer group at this point. At that point, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't even, I wasn't even cooked up with the minions on. Well, I think I was on Facebook at that point, but I only newly on Facebook. And I, um, I'm getting an MRI, and I'm in the middle of the MRI, and the answer came to me, and I was like, shit, I'm gonna forget by the time I get out of this stupid tube. So I made the technician That's make a note for me. Place. To get an idea, I know, right? But the, having the had an MRI about, recently, I'm like, "What, dude? No." <laughs> but I made, I made the, in, in between rounds when he goes, "Are you doing okay?" I'm like, "Could you take a note about something for me so I don't forget it?" And he's like, "Sure." <laughs> Poor man. Please tell me it was something awesome like gives bones. T- I'm just kidding. No, it was about dragons. It was an it was an emergence plot hole. So I start talking about dragons, and he's like, "So when I got done, he says he hands me the post-it note, and I he was like, are you a writer?' I'm like, "Yes, of course. Don't you don't, please don't judge me.'" <laughs> <laughs> 
You should always, no, but, you should say, yes, I don't care if you judge me. <laughs> yes, that's right. But it was just such a weird moment to get my epiphany because I'd been so obsessing on it. And then I was so, I was kind of, you know, I was upset and I was anxious and I was completely not thinking about my writing. And I'm trying to calm myself down and doing this, you know, breathing, trying not to move. And I'm like, oh, I was like, oh, I had an epiphany. <laughs> I, was, I, I can't, one I can't most, forget it. One of the most terrible parts about the MRI for me is that I could not retreat into my process. Because um, when I am doing something that's, you know, kind of like, you know, washing dishes or whatever, you're just something that's, you know, kind of rote, or I'm waiting somewhere, or I'm a passenger in a car, I'll tell myself stories. But when I was in the MRI, I couldn't do it. It was psychologically really stressful not to be able to tell myself a story while I was in the MRI. I have never encountered that before. I think, I mean, I've had at least a dozen, so I think um, I'm better at it now. I'm still not great at blocking out the the crap, the, the chaos of the whole thing, but I'm better than I was the first couple times. Because um, the first couple times I just thought it was like psychological torture, the noise, um, the, the confinement. Uh, it was just like this is crazy. It, it, it could be used as torture. Oh yeah, it's terrible. I, I I only had to be in there 15 minutes. She gave me a little squeezy thing to hold, right? And I, so I couldn't, and I was trying to plot. And so I, I went to my favorite happy place, which is Harry and Hermione. And, but it wasn't happening. It wasn't working. And so I pushed the, I pushed the little squeezy thing. I'm, I'm squeezing this thingy. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, is it almost done? And she's like, it's been four minutes. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not just been four minutes. I almost cried. I was so upset. And she was like, just take deep breaths, just relax, and take deep breaths, just relax. And I get out of it, and I said, that is never happening again while I'm conscious. If they want me in another MRI, they're going to have to knock my ass out, and I'm not even kidding. And they can do that. They're going to have to. My pops has to be sedated for MRIs, so... In his case, he's his, his got a movement disorder, and so he can't be still, literally cannot be still. So they have to sedate him so that he doesn't move around and ruin the MRI. Because 15 minutes was like two hours. Ah. Oh, it is. Mom said she had one that was two and a half hours, and I'm like, if, if I had spent, I wouldn't have spent two and a half hours in that damn thing. thing. I wouldn't have lasted much longer than I did. Um, I think that I would have probably had a complete and total meltdown. The longest I've ever had to go in one was an hour and a half, and it was because it was two 45-minute MRIs, because they had to do the MRI, which was 45 minutes, and then they had to give the contrast and do it again. I was like, wait, what? Because they didn't tell me the order, what the order was. I was like, why is it going to take so long? Because most, most MRIs, from my experience, are between 30 and 45 minutes, and they're like, oh, it's going to take an hour and a half. I was like, why? Well, we have to do the MRI twice. Wait, what? <laughs> you have to do what now? Oh, we didn't do it. Then we do give you the contrast and we do it again. I'm like, oh, my God. <sighs> now, I was told that I was actually in an open MRI. But that's just oh. because my feet were sticking out. 
Yeah, the closed ones are are a coffin. Yeah, they are. They're long tube. They're horrible. They're horrible. I when I had my bone biopsy, I had a donut MRI, and it was just on my butt. <laughs> you know when I mooned Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Good they, morning, they did Atlanta. the bone bop, they did the bone biopsy on my back hip, which is basically my butt, right? And so I'm um, I'm ass up in this in, in this donut MRI. Now when she told me open MRI, that's what I thought of. I was wrong. As bad as the tube was, if it had been a closed MRI, they'd had to fight me. <laughs> like I'm not getting in there. I'm not doing no, it. No, no. Cancel this. We're done. Hundred percent done. Call my doctor. Have you lost your fucking mind? <laughs> you sent me over here to to put me in a coffin. Not happening. But you never know where you're going to get the answer to your problem. Sometimes even in an MRI tube. As weird and improbable as that may seem. <laughs> nope. If you I can go to doctor, your dragon said, place that is in an never MRI tube, again. you should. Huh? I, that is never happening again. I told her. I was like, I can no, absolutely not. And she you said, be, really, was it that drugged. bad? You'll I said, you know, the next one. If, you had told, if, you had, if you had asked me before this MRI... If I still had a problem with um, claustrophobia, I would have laughed and said, no, of course not. Because I had aversion therapy um, to get rid of my claustrophobia. Um, And it was intense. And during my senior year of college, um, I proclaimed myself cured of this particular. And I went cave diving to prove it. And I did great. It was awesome. I had the best time. But something about that MRI hit a part of my brain that I um, managed to never hit in the aversion therapy. Or when I was diving underwater in a fucking cave. Where the only light I had was the light I had in my hand. I don't know if it was the noise combined with the space or I think it's it was not just because move. Oh, you can't it was get touching yourself me. out of those tubes. Yeah, you can't get yourself out. The tube was touching to... me on both sides and I yeah, felt you feel really confined. Um <clears throat> and it was t- and it just I I felt like I I couldn't have gotten out because they had my head in a vice. Um because I was getting an MRI on my head. Um and uh Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <coughs> Never happening. And I said, and honestly, um, if I'd known of what it was going to be like, I would have asked you for Valium before I left the office. Because I went from her office straight to the place. Um, to, to do the image, and my husband was driving. So if I'd known, I got some value in office before I even got near the building over there. <laughs> what it was going to be like. But I didn't get anything. Drugs would help. They do help.
It was terrible. I I don't recommend it to anybody. No, <laughs> not recommended. It's Between it, it 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 is a combined experience of the for me the noise the being confined, um the fact that I can't because my boobs are big so even if I look down I can't see out of the tube. Um, they touch even in an open MRI they touch the top of the tube. Um, so I look down yeah, all was, I see is my boobs. Kind of touching. Um, but it wasn't. I think you know honestly, it might have been my arms that it was touching my shoulders or my arm, my elbows, arms. You know. Yeah, it's just the whole it, the whole combined experience of it just feeling like you're actually being confined, even though in theory, unless your head is actually in like yours was, you could in theory wiggle yourself out. Um, but between feeling like you're confined in place and you, you, your body's not under your own control anymore, um, the noise. The, the noise just like it's like adding it, it's like you know salt on a wound um it's just and and then not being able to see um anything but the tube those three things just makes it a really distressing experience never happening again ever, ever. if you guys have never had an MRI consider that you might want drugs really nice never turn down value and honestly, if they don't offer you value, you need to question whether or not they, they care about you at all. That's right. <laughs> I told my doctor she hated me. I was like, I said, what did I ever do to you? I pay my bills on time. I, said, I never fuss about shit. I, I'm compliant. <laughs> I take all my prescriptions. <laughs> and she was like, what are you talking about? I said, why'd you torture me that way? I said, you didn't even offer me value. And the nurse was laughing. But I was serious. <laughs> They should have offered me Valium. I had no idea. <sighs> Drugs should have been on offer. I'm just saying. A big one. <laughs> like, I would like to have been near comatose. Or unconscious. I would have been okay with unconscious as well. Part of the questionnaire when you're filling out an MRI questionnaire is one thing to ask before if you suffer from claustrophobia. Always say you have my at least minor claustrophobia because then they'll for sure give you drugs. <laughs> good to know. I know I'm good. Fuck that shit. I was not good. Oh, because <laughs> you, you do not want to say, oh no, no, I don't have any kind of claustrophobia. Because the thing is, lots of people who have no claustrophobia have it after an MRI. So they suddenly like, develop yes. it. Well, I had an unfortunate experience um, that wouldn't happen in, um, today. Um, my um, grandmother, and I'm going to, the moment I say it, a certain age group of people are going to immediately know what happened. When I was six, my grandmother got a new refrigerator. And her old one got put on the back porch. And my grandfather was going to have it taken away. But it took a month for the person he had asked to come get it on the truck, take it to the dump, to come over into the house and do it. And he only did it because my grandmother called him and cussed him out for what happened. Me and my cousin Stan were playing hide and seek. Oh, yes. You know where this is going. And... The refrigerators from the time period that this refrigerator came from had an outside I lock. Can visual, I can visualize the handle. Yeah, it locked from the outside. And if you got in it, 
you could not get out unless someone let you out. And I was six. I didn't know any better. <laughs> well, I did know better. Um, but for some reason, I thought it was a good idea. I was six. Um, and I was in it for about 45 minutes. And I don't really remember getting out of it. Because I fucking lost my mind. Uh, I nearly knocked two of my uncle's teeth out. Because he tried to hold me down. Because I was flipping my shit. When they, when he, when they realized I was in there and they got me out. Um, and I fought him like I was a grown man. <laughs> well, one of the reasons why he had been replaced was that um, there was a... It wasn't sealing properly. So so air was getting into it. So 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 there wasn't an airtight seal, but I couldn't get out because of the lock. I could mm. actually see the outside. I could see outside of it because the seal had, um, had fallen off, the plastic seal part, uh, and that's why she got a new one. Um... And after that happened, my grandma called the man who was supposed to come get it and cussed him out. And he came and got it immediately. <laughs> I'm bad. But yeah, kid, but kids did die in those things. And that's one reason why um, they no longer have refrigerators that are designed like that with a lock on the outside. Um, with the lever that locks on the outside. If you get in a modern refrigerator, you can push the door open. But you couldn't do that in those old ones. But yeah, and so I suffered from claustrophobia from the age of six until I was in college, and I thought I was I was really proud of my progress and how how well I had done, and how I believed that I had cured myself through aversion therapy. I worked really hard on that, and you know my I, I was just I was really pleased with myself. I was really happy, but apparently not. Hmm. Apparently, I, I, I still do have issues, and it could be the metal um, and the confined space because that, that refrigerator wasn't very big. Um, and it, you know, I haven't experienced any other problems. And I had to go under the house earlier in the week um, because Jack thought it would be a good idea to go under there with the pest control man, and then he wouldn't come out. So I had to go in after him. Because he was too busy trying to catch a ma- uh, my mouse. Um, so I was under my own house with a flashlight, cussing my dog out, um, much to the pest control man's th- amusement. And I didn't have any problems with that. So, it, it, you know, and that's a pretty tight place. If, you, if, if, you, if you've ever been under a crawl space of a house, it's not exactly um, spacious. So, but I'm never getting another fucking MRI when I, while I'm awake. No, I don't just want volume. I want full-on twilight sedation. Put me out. Can I have those Michael Jackson drugs? I don't know what they're called, <laughs> but I had them once before, and they were really nice. I really That's enjoyed it. That's what I want. <laughs> it having my head in the vice was a big deal, even when I wasn't in the tube. When she first did it, I was like, "Whoa, whoa." What, are you what doing? is with the cage? What's <laughs> I can't. Cage? I don't like it. 
Because it was on my forehead and on the sides of my face, pressing. Yeah, I don't know if, how what, what yours was like, but when I had, last time I had an MRI, brain, brain MRI, they, um, they put the thing on, and you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. It's just like a, a loose little thing they put over your head to help boost the signal. And then they start packing it with these special pads to make sure your head can't move. I'm like, okay, that's suddenly less pleasant. <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> this is deeply, that, deeply uncomfortable now. <laughs> not that it was pleasant before, but still less pleasant now. Well, the nurse got me out of it uh, after 15 minutes, and I'm hyperventilating, and she said, um, what do you need? I was like, I need you to get out of my face before I cut you out. I know it's not your fault, but I'm really mad at you. <laughs> so I was like, which I know is irrational, and she kind of laughed. I said, so just go sit in your office. Can I go? <laughs> and she said, yeah, you can go. You're done. So I got my purse, and I, I, I walked right out. I got to the lobby, and my husband was sitting there. He's like, you're done? I said, yes, we're going. Get in the car. <laughs> I need a cookie. I had, to get, I, had to get, I had to get immediately out of the building where that thing was. I could not stay in the building with it. It was unreal. I get in the car, and finally I start to calm down. I'm, I'm shaking. And he was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. I need a, I need a, I said, take me to Derek. I need a blizzard. <laughs> So I had a strawberry blizzard. Don't look Azure. <laughs> I had to get as far from that damn thing. And I'm not sure I want to go back to that building ever again. <laughs> Which just sucks because it's my where I get all my imaging done. And because I am prone to, to breaking stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. not happening. It was terrible. You could design a ritual to, you know, annex that, that room of the building to uh, like some other, like a dimensional space or something so you don't have to deal with it. If I design a ritual, it's going to be a full-on destroy the building and salt the earth kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the MRI machine? We don't know. All these symbols, weird symbols popped up on it and then it turned to dust. Voodoo. Voodoo. <laughs> Sorry, Rogue. It, you know, so you never know what's going to... And I can't believe you actually had an epiphany during that. When I could I not... I, it was really surprising to me that I could not retreat into my process. Because the first leg of my process for any story is all a head game. Mm-hmm. I will tell um, my story to myself in my head. Um, I'll go over my plot points and my characterization and my motivations and, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll go through external and internal, um, aspects. You know, this is my internal motivations. These are my external plot points. These are my reactions. And I do all that in my head and to, to not be able to do that in my head was really disconcerting. Yeah, it's I I would have the times when I felt like I couldn't where I was too distracted. Like but sometimes it's something very bizarre that keeps you from going into a creative headspace. Like one time at Starbucks it was laid with clown socks on. Um <laughs> she's sitting right next to me. Sitting right next to me and she crosses her legs and I'm trying to write and 
she's and her her so her trousers right up, but she's got these, and she and they're like three D, like got like app, they've got like the clown hair and the red nose, and they're like you know, like they're like appliques on these socks, and her foot's bouncing, and this clown sock is like moving in my peripheral vision. And I was like, I can't deal. I just I slammed my laptop shut and got up and left because I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't cope with the clown sock. It was so stupid. Oh, my God, it was such an insane thing to interrupt my – because I had driven to that Starbucks, which had the perfect – the environment I loved to write in, right? It was just this cool Starbucks. And there's the clown sock, bounce, bounce, bounce. I'm like, I'm leaving. Now, <laughs> Not even going to the I other have... side of the – room i'm leaving no it wouldn't have helped no 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 i agree it wouldn't have helped i have several places that i can go to write in town and i have various um spots in those places that i like to sit when i write if those spots aren't available i won't stay and i usually have two or three spots in each place so it isn't like it's only one spot i have two or three places and the last time i was in um panera I go up to the counter to order, and the manager was there, and um, I ordered to go, and he was like, why are you ordering to go? You always stay, and you write, you know. He said, what are you working on this week? Because he's a big uh, um, sci-fi fan, and he loves Stargate, and uh, he does not have my fandom name. Um, and um, he uh, he's like asking, you know, what are you up to? And I'm like, I can't stay, because there's people in all my spots. <laughs> He said, well, your favorite spot, that person's been there for a little bit, so maybe they're going to leave before your food gets here. I said, if they leave before my food is ready, I will stay. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) But sometimes things just throw you out of your zone, and then you never know when it's going to come. We all have it. There's something about being in the shower um, and also the moments right before you go to sleep that are great for the creative process. And it annoys the fuck out of everybody because nobody has a pen. You know, you're like you're in the shower and you're like, oh. And part of it, part of it is you're not thinking about it. Part of it is you've stopped focusing on, I mean, if I get in the shower thinking about my story, a lot of times it, there's no epiphany. But if all I'm thinking about is shampooing my hair, a lot of times I can have a creative breakthrough in the shower, which is then when I get irritated because I've got a head full of soap and a really good idea. So that's annoying, <laughs> but it's still, hopefully I can hold on to it long enough. I mean, when I was younger, it was easier to hold on to those ideas until I could finish my shower. Now I'm tempted to get those crayon soaps that they get little kids so that I can write on the shower wall because it's a little harder to hold on to those ideas sometimes. Um and also the thing right before you go to bed is you're 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 sleepy, you're about to drift into that fur, you're kind of at the edge of that first stage of sleep, and all of a sudden your brain's like, boom, this is going to solve all your problems. And you're like, but I really want to go to sleep. Do I want to? I will, I'll remember this in the morning. I know I will. And you wake up in the morning and go, what was that thing last night? Shit. Shit. Totally gone. Totally gone. Totally gone. Never to be seen again. And most writers have had those two experiences. <laughs> but it happens It happens everywhere where you just suddenly get breakthroughs in weird places. And a lot of times it's because you stop focusing on the thing that you're obsessing on. But also the times when you sit down to really just kind of get into your process, um, the weirdest thing can throw you out of it. You know? Like, like 
firecrackers going off every five seconds on the 4th of July or, you know, and, and they're going off so loudly that even the noise-canceling headphones aren't doing anything and you just keep getting these adrenaline rushes and jolting you out of your chair because you think someone's fired a gun through the window. You know, it's hard to write around that. <laughs> or, you know, you have a husband who likes to linger in your doorway until you pay attention to him. Or you have somebody who comes up and reads over your shoulder. I had to stop. I had to stop writing when my parents were here. I was like, "Why are you guys looking over my shoulder? What are you doing? I'm just curious what you're doing. You know what stop. I'm doing. Stop looking over my shoulder. It's so weird. Well, do, you, do you care if we read what you write? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. I care even a lot. If I didn't care what, even, if, even if I even if I was willing to let you read the end product, I'm not okay with you reading as I'm writing. That is something so weird about someone watching you write. It's like almost more intimate than somebody watching you have sex. And that may sound really weird, but it's the truth. I agree. It is exactly like that. The creative process is a very intimate thing, and I don't like to share it with people. Even if I'm writing in public, I don't want to look it over my fucking shoulder. Although there was that one time that lady kept looking at my screen. Um, so I purposefully called up um, a particular story that I was right to the point where I was going to write a sex scene. And I made the, the font 24 point, And I wrote the filthiest gay sex scene I possibly could. It was an episode of Ties That Bind. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a troll. <laughs> and she was like. <sighs> I was like, if you weren't a nosy bitch, you wouldn't know what I was writing, would you? You only your indignation is your own problem and your own fault. Tell you something about my husband. She actually told me I should share um, her Tumblr feed um, with um, my husband. I have, um, but once I was having this visual, I was having an issue envisioning a particular. Um, position, sex position, and it, and it was like, is that, is that really going to be as intimate as I want it to be? That was what I was looking for. I mean, I, I knew it was a possible position, but I didn't know how intimate it would be, and that's what I needed to see. I needed to visualize it. So I'm over on XTube <laughs> trying to find a particular video that would have this position in it, and it didn't take me long to find one because XTube is an excellent resource for that kind of thing. Um not that you can look my position unless it's like doggy style or, you know, or double team or <laughs> something like that. But I did find a, a video that had this position in it. And um, it was actually the scene in uh, Sentinels of Atlantis where Jack and Patrick bond and Patrick is flat on his stomach. And I wondered if, if that would be as intimate as I wanted it to be. And so I was looking for that, and I found it. And I'm watching it. I got my head tilted like you do when you watch porn. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband, my husband, all of a sudden I hear, what the fuck are you watching? I'm like, duh, I'm watching gay porn. What? <laughs> Why is this a surprise to you? He was, like, horrified. <laughs> I don't think he realized up until that point just how, uh, this is like five, six years ago, is that six years ago, Um, how how willing I was to go to get my research done. (laughs) You know, there's something interesting. When I'm I'm watching porn, if my head is listing to the right, tilting to the right, I'm either 
curious, intrigued, interested. Something's going right, and I'm engaged in what I'm seeing. A sharp tilt to the left is a what the fuck. What? It's, and it can, it can possibly, happen. That, that, that can't, that's going to break can, your dick. <laughs> my head can be almost all the way with my ear on my right shoulder. I'm so into it. And I'll almost sprain myself snapping at the other direction when something weird happens. Oh, it's like, know, whoa. Yeah. My husband used to be easily freaked out. Not so much these days. But that particular video, um, it was being filmed by a third person, so there were different angles, including one straight up through the, the legs. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so he happened to, to enter my office at a point where I got a really explicit view of penis-to-anus penetration. I think that's awesome. <sighs> well, oh my goodness. Barbara said that once she caught somebody reading Ties That Bind on her screen and she gave him the site address <laughs> on a post-it. <laughs> oh, I hope he enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's bad enough actually having for me having people read what I'm reading. I'm like, what? Cause it, it's a little bit like, what? What are you doing? I don't care what I'm reading. It's a little bit like, what? Even if I'm reading the newspaper, it's like, what are you doing? Stop it! Why are you in my thing? But reading what I'm writing is just so weird. It's just so weird. <coughs> Definitely be polite. Um, I. Uh... When somebody asks me what I'm reading these days, I automatically say gay porn. Even if I'm not, I say gay porn. Yeah, it's a good go-to because then they, it stops the conversation, and they just get they they just like okay, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. It's like thank you, I didn't want you talking to me in the first place. Because either they go away, or I meet one of my people. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> I haven't had the meeting my peeps ex- experience yet. I'm just like, oh, there they go. Bye. Yeah. I've actually had my own work recommended to me in person. My professional work. <laughs> Not my fandom work, my professional work. And I'm like, I was like, oh, you enjoyed that book? Oh, yeah, you should really read it. It's really awesome. And I'm like, do I say thank you or do I just walk away? <laughs> You just go, oh great! I'll I'll remember that. I I I would probably just be like, oh oh good, good good note. <laughs> I don't even know what. But I then know one time, saying. my mother outed me in a Barnes and Noble because we were in Barnes and Noble, and um, my mom, she's just the most adorable thing. When she found out that um, what the difference between a book being on the shelf and a book being fronted means. Whenever my mom encounters my print work in a bookstore, she fronts it. Good for your mom. It's great, right? So she was fronting one of my books, and this lady asked her about it. And she said, oh, you know, it's really great. She talked about the plot and the characters. And I'm like, okay. And then she said, my daughter wrote it. She's right over here. Would you, would you like to get one? And then she could sign it. Here are the other two books. They're down here on the shelf with the later releases. The lady bought all three. I'm not sure if she actually wanted them or if she just didn't want to tell my mom no. (laughs) 
And I followed her up to the front register and signed them, which unfortunately led to several other people getting my book and getting it signed because they realized that I was there and they, you know, and who I was. And um, there was, like, I ended up signing, like, eight books. And um, my mom fronts my books, yeah. My mom will front my book in a used bookstore. She doesn't care. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what that means, um, fronting a book is turning it so the cover is out instead of the spine. And new books are fronted and older books are turned so that you see the spine. Well, my mom fronts my books. Ever since she found out what fronting is, she automatically fronts my books. Whether it's in the used bookstore or Barnes and Noble, it doesn't matter. I think that's great. It's adorable. I told my agent, and she thought it was the funniest thing. She said, "That's that's a great story." <clears throat> now the used bookstore knows who I am, so whenever he gets a copy of one of my books. Um, he asked, he'll um, send me an email and say, hey, I've got two of your books that have been traded in. You want to come in and sign them, and I'll put them in. He has a special bookshelf dedicated to local authors where local authors come in and sign um, copies, and then he'll put them on that shelf to be sold. And so uh, he usually has one or two of my books at a time, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and sign them, and they'll be on the, the local author shelf, local and signed author shelf. So, um it's a good way to enter, you know, use bookstore. You don't get any money from that, those those uh, those secondary sales. But it does allow you to um, grow your fan base because you get more readers that way. Mm-hmm. They like your book, and then they go and they try to find other books for yours. <coughs> right. Oh, shit. Shit. What? Oh, I just got an idea for my first agent thing, and I wrote it down on the nearest piece of paper, and it's my lab work order. Oh, no. Oh, no. Shit. The lab work you haven't had done yet? Yes. Oh, no. Can you call your doctor and get another one? I'm going to have to because I just just wrote a bunch of really inappropriate shit all over (laughs) my lab work order. (laughs) Rimming scene here. Sorry, that's Damn. terrible. <laughs> Surely they can, I, they can do you another I just, one. I thought, I didn't even look at what it was. I just started writing on it. And I and then I went, what is this? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but I advise you not to tell them you wrote porn ideas on it. Um, maybe you could go without you spilled coffee on it. That's a good one. I spilled, I must have, must have drank coffee. Um, um, I'll fuck up something and I spilled on it. Gee. I spilled a slushy on it. <laughs> Your sister spilled a slushie on it. <laughs> there you go. My sister That's did it. That's what sibling is for, to blame them for the shit that you do. I'm trying to think of it. I, I mean, it's like I can white it out and copy the stupid. I mean, that was just, but actually I wrote over part of the order. I'm such a bonehead. <laughs> My lab rules are usually duplicate. Like they're two, you know, the kind that makes a, a second copy underneath. No, they didn't. They just gave me one. I thought I thought maybe they had done that, but the one underneath it actually is a completely separate order. Why would they give me two different orders? That... Mm. 
whatever. It, yeah, they they separated my lab works into two separate orders. I don't know why though. It's very strange. So, yeah, great. Bah. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll call and say, hey guys, I'm not getting my I can't I can't get an appointment for my labs until Friday anyway. So I'll just go pick up a new lab order tomorrow. But it's just that's just so stupid. I, I just don't want to admit when I. <laughs> I just wrote porn notes all over your lab order. Sorry. <laughs> I have a little notebook I keep on my desk for that. I actually have several, but I always have one notebook open for that. So I don't write on things I'm not supposed to because I, I will do that. Not on my arm like some people, but um, <laughs> I had this bad habit for a while of taking notes on the back of envelopes. Um, and I stopped. I stopped abruptly doing that when I was taking notes inadvertently on the back of the wrong person's mail. Um, I thought it was my <laughs> stack of mail that I was making notes on, and it wasn't my stack of mail. So it was like, oh, shit. Um, so I copied. I made photocopies. I just I made, photocopied what my notes and then took a Sharpie <laughs> and all my notes. And so when I handed the letter over to my neighbor because this had been the mailman had gotten our letters crossed backwards switched our things I said I made a bunch of notes and you didn't need to see it (laughs) sorry about the sharpies all over the ground my bad it happens because when I get to I decide I have to write something down I just grab whatever's nearest it's a terrible habit of just grabbing whatever's nearest and, and just starting to write and I mean it, it, yeah, napkins, my hand, my arm, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever, whatever. if I can't find something to write on, I, I, I roll around on my leg. It doesn't, you know, I'll, something. I don't have the memory I used to have. Me neither. It's terrible. I was looking through my um, episode five, and um, I'm at the uh, climax um, more, more, more like I'm actually at the rising action I'm at the point of rising action that's going to reach my climax in a few uh, paragraphs but um, I come across a sentence and I use the wrong word but I have no idea what word I meant none I'm like that sentence makes no fucking sense but what did I mean to say I have no idea and I wrote it yesterday I have that happen sometimes too where it's like I, I don't know what I meant to say here and sometimes Surely I read work. like I like, like somebody'll have like sometimes it'll happen like in a typo. Somebody'll type have a typo and I'll be like I wonder what they mean by that. I really have no idea. And I'll try to read the sentence four or five different ways and I can't like sort it out what they mean. And so I was just like I just can't because most time most of the times you can infer what somebody means around a typo. But every once in a while it's just like the word is so off. And it doesn't fit in the sentence, and the sentence doesn't make sense without that critical word. You're like, I don't have any idea what this means. Hmm. Okay, moving on. Even in the context of the rest of the paragraphs, I have no idea what that sentence means. So you put in the description for the the um the thing um the only way to get the only way to get the only way, to get, the only way blah, 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 blah. I think my tongue work 
the only way to get better is to write even when you fuck it up. And um, I think I've talked to a lot of people lately who just um, kind of, um, when they feel like they're messing up, they just kind of stop. Um, and I understand, I understand I don't, I'm not criticizing you. So if you're listening to this, because I know some of you probably, if you don't listen to it now, you will later. Uh, that's not a criticism. But I don't I think that's part of the – and maybe you need to go to a different project or something, or um, there's something about just stopping because you're stuck that I think builds frustration. It doesn't, I don't think it actually helps with the frustration, you know what I mean? At least for me. That's my, my – me is that I'm, I, I find it actually makes my frustration worse is that if I completely stop, which is why I often have more than one project going on, um, which this is funny because I had posted that I am working on two different series now, and someone wrote me and asked me, and they said, can you do that during a rough trade, work on two different things? And I said, well, of course I can. They're like, well, it's not against the rules? I was like, oh, you mean like you're contractually obligated to only work on rough trade during rough trade? No, of course not. You can work on whatever the fuck you want to work on. And I'm always working on more than actually those two things I was talking about. But um, if anybody's listening to this and you think that you are obligated to only work on um, rough trade stories during rough trade, that's just not true. You can How write whatever you want to write. How just write, 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 write what you want to write. I mean, you can't stuck, put that shit on rough trade, but why, how the hell would I know? I mean, come on now. Yeah, I mean, even if you, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just such a, if you're frustrated with your story and you need to work on something else to get your mojo back, that actually stopping, stopping isn't going to get, may not, well, it might, but usually it doesn't get your mojo back. Go work on something else. Find something that, that you, you know, because sometimes, not getting those creative juices working in a different way or feeling good about something you're writing that you're not stuck on can get you unstuck on the other thing. But you're not, like, contractually obligated to only write on rough trade. And, I mean, I I always am working on um, more than one story at a time. Now, there Not have been like, times in the past, like, when I first did um, Unspeakable Plot on Rough Trade, there was nothing else on my plate. But I wrote 120K during that month. Um, no, we were, when I did Darkly we, Lowell, we were, there was nothing else on my plate. You know, because that we was were, just we like were, it was really, really... We we wrote 180K in that month. Yeah. Well, did we? Yeah. Because when the month ended, um, we had... Um, um, I, I only wrote one chapter after um, the month ended, and I was at 186K at the end of the month. And then that sat there, and then it got to the rest when I finished the story. So, yeah, at the end of Rough Trade, and you, we were neck and neck on word count, yeah, 180K. Yeah, yeah. That, so I didn't do anything else that month. But this I month, um, I was very relaxed for me challenge. I've... Um, um, my my episodes are going really well, but I'm also giving myself room to to explore a ridiculous idea about Harry Potter being raised by Bilbo Baggins, <laughs> because I can't help myself. And you know, and there's no point in denying your creativity. I'm gonna tell you a story about a lady that I know who um, started writing 
then stopped. Cold turkey. And I said something to her particularly offensive. I was in, I was 30, I was 30, I was 29 or 30. Um, I'd just recently gotten published for the second or third time. Anyway, um, I didn't mean to offend her, but I did. And this is what I said. I said, well, you know, I think writers are born. Because she asked me about um, my process and how I learned to be, to be a writer. I didn't learn to be a writer. I was always a writer. I learned to be an author. I developed my craft. I developed my process. I learn every day. I learn on every single project I work on. I learn something new as part of your process. You learn, you grow every single time you go out of the gate. And um, I hope I never get to the point where I don't learn something new about myself or my craft as I write um, because that's that's just the road to um, stale, um, terrible writing to me. Um, but she was really deeply offended um, because I told her that a writer can't help but write. A writer is born. You can't be taught to be a writer. She was profoundly offended. I still think it. <laughs> you can't be taught to write. Well, it's like I talk. You know, I talk to people and who talk about one of the things they want to do with their life. It's like on their bucket list is they want to write a novel. And I'll be like, well, what have you written? People in the face. What have you written? And they're like, oh, nothing yet. Ever, like ever, like ever in your life? No. Because it's so Why? easy, right? Why is this one of your aspirations if you've never, you've never felt the urge, the drive, you've never felt compelled to pick up a pen and get a story out of your head, and yet one of the things you put on your bucket list was to write a novel? I, what? I think I have really good ideas. You mean you think you have better ideas than the people whose stuff you read. So basically what you're doing is just critiquing. You think that you're <laughs> a really good critic and that that's going to turn you into a really good writer. It doesn't work that way, but whatever. I just kind of roll my eyes and go, okay. I had a professor okay, in college tell me in the English class that every person has one novel in them. And I looked, I said, no, <laughs> that's not true. I said, everybody might have a story to tell, but that doesn't equal a novel. Because I'm pretty sure that dude sitting right here right next to me, his story is about three paragraphs. (laughs) And I can infer the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, really, I mean, I do think that everybody has a story to tell, but I don't think everybody has a novel in them. Um There are creative people and there are non-creative people. You are born an artist. You are born a writer. um, But that that creative desire can't be taught. You can be taught technique and craft. You can be taught to shape with clay or to um, use metal in your sculpture or to, to work with granite or whatever, or you can be taught uh, sentence structure and dialogue mechanics and story structure and scene development and goals and motivation and characters and characterization. And you can be taught all of these things, but you cannot be taught how to be creative. You either are creative or you're not. 
And if you're creative, it's there. It's it's there. Because it, even if you're not putting it on paper, you're always making stories up in your head. That's just, I mean, people that I know who are writers are always making up stories. I don't know what other people do with their brains. It bothers me a lot. Since I do plot and tell myself stories in my head 24-7 pretty much, if I'm not actually writing, it's going on in my brain when I'm cooking, when I'm driving, when I'm... That's one of the reasons why the MRI was so disconcerting. Um, I, I go to sleep thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. It is just part of how my brain works. And so I asked my husband, what do you do with your brain? He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you do with your brain when you're not talking? What's your brain doing? <laughs> yeah, he said, I don't know, worrying about stuff, thinking about TV shows, movies, news, politics, science. I'm like, oh my God, is that what's what you do with your brain, really? <laughs> That's so terrible. Like, how do you function that <laughs> way? And I wonder, because, you know, um, when I can't engage my brain that way, I have a great deal of anxiety. Um, perfect example, the MRI. So I'm wondering if people who have a lot of anxiety can't engage their brain any other way. And that's, you know, that anxiety just, I don't know. If I could only think about mm. politics and science, <laughs> I would be fucked up. I would be one anxious monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, sometimes, sometimes when I I have I have the ideas they they're in my head and they don't come out of my head and onto the page the way they're in my head, and sometimes this you just goes we all we all feel go through those spells where our our the way we put words together just is different. I I don't know if it's hormonal. I don't know if it's the phase of the moon. I don't know what it is, but it's like sometimes I can be very articulate with getting my ideas out and I feel like the flow is really good and other times it is like it, it as opposed to like it's like flowing water other times it is like gravel you know I mean it's like it's like oh this is terrible <laughs> but you know what it's better there's that quote and it's so true if you can edit a bad page you can't edit a blank page and you get it out of your head. It doesn't matter how awful it is. It doesn't matter if the word, if the if you're wordy or if you're um, if you're wordy or if you're too if you didn't express yourself well or if you've got plot holes or if you've got inconsistencies or you've got no character development. Whatever the flaw is, if you get it out and it's there, you can do something with it. You can have it take two, whatever. You can do something. But you can't do something with nothing. If it just stays in your head, you can't do anything with it. Except talk about how you wish you could get out of your head. So just do something with it. And I think that's one of the problems with, I see with a lot of fan, not not all, but a lot of fan fiction writers I see that get very impatient with their craft, is they they get it out and it's not, they think of, they, they, in their mind they evaluate it as not good and they just lose all patience with it because they don't want to let it sit. They want to, there's like a, a little bit more of an instant gratification mentality. Um, with fan fiction, it's like, oh, I'm just, just going to throw this out. I can't do anything with it. It's like, well, why don't you sit on it for a couple of weeks and see how it goes? 
Well, normally I write something and I post it within five minutes. Like, okay, well, I can't, I can't do anything with that. You just, you gotta sit on this for for a little bit and think about it, and just patience. You gotta be with patience. <laughs> Earlier tonight, Carrie just sent me. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> she sent me a Bon Jovi song. Was it Bon Jovi? Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Guns patience. and Roses. Oh my God! Sorry, Guns and Roses. <laughs> That's so what it starts playing because I got the head to get the link from YouTube, so it starts playing. And my sister walks by hearing it because it starts off with him actual whistling. And she goes, "You evil woman! That fucking earworm! I'm never gonna get that out of my head. What's the matter with you?" And so now every time I say patience, the word patience, you have to have patience with yourself. I'm like, I hear it in my head, and I've ruined myself now too. Now you're all Sorry. ruined too. But you do have you, the thing is, I do think that's missing a lot of times in fan fiction and with fan fiction writers. I think, um, well, look at the the that published dick writers. Mechanics. Dick mechanic. I'll talk about it later. Go ahead. When I look at the published writers, I know they're much more patient who write fan fiction. They're much more patient with their process than the ones who have never been published. Who this? Who, who all the, their only experience is fandom and and writing in that environment, um, and they're super impatient with their process and with their craft, and I just want to tell them to chill. It doesn't have to be right immediately. You'll get there. Just give yourself room to breathe. Give yourself room to screw up, and that's okay. I screw up. I think with my writing all the time. One of the ways you can cultivate that kind of patience is to, um, outside of Rough Trade, I never put a first draft out. Even those little shorts I do for Rough Trade on on the forum and end up on my site, the little big shorts. Which, by the way, if you don't get that, that that that's a dick joke. The big short. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. <laughs> now that's in your head forever. But yeah, it's a dick joke. Anyways, um, uh, what was I saying? But, uh, patience? To, um, to, um, to help to cultivate that um, is to always, always, always do a second draft of your of, of your work. Um, and that means like literally creating a copy of the original file, put the original file in a work folder, open up the new copy, and work on it. Um, close it. Do it again the next day. Not make another copy, but work on it again. Because I think in, involving yourself in a second and third draft process would really help you um, separate yourself from your work. Because one of the things that you have to do um, as a writer to develop that thick skin we talked about earlier is you need to divorce yourself from your work a little bit so that it's not um, so intimate and personal. Because writing is intimate and personal. But to get to the point where you don't burst into tears when someone says they hate your work, um, you need to be a little bit divorced from it. So it doesn't fuck mm-hmm. the thing they hate you. Now, it'll always be your word, baby, but there's a difference. Yeah. You get a little, you get a little step back from it, um, and I think the draft process helps me with that, 
because it's a story, then it's my draft, and it's my draft, and it's my final product. And I label my finals final. Done. Final. Um, and I've always done that. And it's a, it's a way of me um, mentally accepting that it's done. Final. So I have a first draft, a second draft, and a final in my work folder for each project. Now, when it comes to those shorts, it's usually a first and second draft. It isn't, you know, and then, you know, I'll relabel my second draft to final after I get done. Um, or if it's really, really short, I'll just open back up and edit it and edit it and edit it and then print it. But it's never so much to the point where I'm um, putting a work out there that hasn't gone through the draft process. <clears throat> yeah, even even the shorts, I... I I do a draft. I mean, I I don't I don't beta the shorts. I don't go to to that level with them, but I do go through because especially a lot of them get a sec, have to get a second edit to cut out at least ten or fifteen words because inevitably I'm <laughs> to work fifteen out. words over yeah. the, over. And so when you're looking to edit to for word economy, um, I don't want to just cut out words randomly. So that's an interesting second draft process is how to cut the words out that will affect things the least or maybe even improve things and. Um, that's an interesting second draft cycle is to try to bring the word count down by a very specific thing. I'm trying to get 15 words shaved off. But, you know, if if you don't like what you wrote, sometimes and sometimes it may not be what you wrote. Sometimes it may be your mind, your headspace when you wrote it. Because I've had something that I thought was absolute drivel. Like, oh, my God, this is garbage. I rarely throw something out. I rarely truly throw something out. I will often take things out and put them in, a, like I call them, like a trash file for a story. So, like, most of the stories I've written that are long have a trash file with, like, scraps that I've pulled out or things that I've rewritten. Um, but I have a cut material file. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. So it, I really throw something away. Every once in a while something just is so off that I don't ever want it, the chance I'm ever going to see it again. Um, and um, sometimes I – one time I wrote something I thought was crap. I thought it was absolute crap. And I went to go reread it like several weeks later, right? So this is a patience thing again. And before – and instead of just going, this thing is garbage, I'm going to delete it. I went to go check it again if there's anything salvageable in it. It was actually really good. I was like, what was my head with space when I, well, I I must have been in a really bad mood or being hard on myself or just really judgmental um, at that particular point in time that I thought something that was really good and was really usable um, was garbage when I wrote it. So... Um, And that um, that garbage wound up being um, the opening chapter of De Novo. <laughs> really? It was the thing? But yeah, it was the thing that I salvaged. And it was like, oh, this is crap, and I put it away and had to go back and look at it again. And I was like, wow, I really like this. I mean, it needs it needs some editing, but um, I was like, why did I think this was so much so crappy? And I couldn't figure out why I thought it was so crappy. I just that was my impression of that first chapter of this idea when I first sat down to start writing it was like, oh, my God, this is garbage, and I moved on. Um, <clears throat> I kept ties in mind to myself for over a year. I thought it was crap. <laughs> 
But I kept writing it, and I kept reading it. And I didn't have anything um, new on my site for a while. I was like, fuck it, I'll just put it up. Um, and I got it, beta. I went through the beta, and I was like, um, and I still wasn't particular. Eh, I don't know how I feel about it. I put it up, and everybody liked it. I was like, okay. <laughs> but I did keep it just for my, myself for almost a year, because I was like, mm. Another way to cut your work to um, to get rid of um, to get rid of on the word economy issue is ly words, um, adverbs. Right? Yeah, adverb. Ly yeah, words. Ly words are often um, that's vanity Un- in your word count, and you can you can cut practically all of them. And a lot of times you're using them in, in um, dialogue tags, and you can reword that dialogue tag to get rid of the ly. And a lot of p- professional publishing houses will not let you keep ly words, <laughs> so it's good to keep in mind if you're heading that in that direction that a lot of them are really opposed to adverbs. Of course, Stephen King thinks adverbs are the devil, but we can't take him seriously. <laughs> he writes about clowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there's sometimes, <laughs> I love, every, I love that. I know why. I do too. Everything, everything is about balance, right? I mean, when you overdo anything, it's going to be like, oh, some things are just wrong. I mean, I posted the other day about that in, in a narrative fiction, you should not be putting in parentheses. Actual, actual parentheses don't belong around a parenthetical phrase, which is kind of counterintuitive since it's called a parenthetical phrase, that you can't use parentheses around them. But, um. So, the, so there are some hard and fast rules, but most things that it, it is about, you know, finding a balance. It's sort of like using semicolons. You can use them a little bit, but if you use them a lot, it, it's a, it starts to become head tilty and noticeable. And the last thing you want is to draw people's attention to your punctuation. <laughs> you don't want anybody getting to the end of the paragraph going, they sure use a lot of semicolons. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your punctuation is something people look, overlook, not right. All they it see. Should be, it, it should be crafting the tone. It, it's it's the it's the it's the tone of the narrative. It's punctuation is giving giving it tone and and inflection. It's not supposed to be noticed on its own. So that's why you don't want to use anything that's not a period, and even commas you don't want to use excess. But you don't want to use anything that's not a period or a comma. Um, excessively because it starts to become noticeable. It's like It would be sort of like using exclamation points on every sentence. It's like, why is everybody so excited? You know, <laughs> And agitated like, and yelling. Yes, it's like, so, uh, uh, it's like all this tension. And it just starts to become really noticeable. <laughs> Everything is about finding a balance. I mean, you can do it, just don't do it too much. Or it's like using adverbs. Sometimes you really need that adverb. Saying none is just stupid. But using an adverb in every sentence may be overkill. But a good way to get your word count down is to remove the adverbs. <laughs> yeah, and like, well, especially, especially words like really, you know, because <laughs> that's really neat. Oh, neat. That's neat conveys basically the same thing. You can also remove very and oftentimes many, um, depending on um, the structure of the sentence, um, just just based on pure word economy. Um we're down to 12 minutes, and I want to address something that I saw yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, mostly ladies, um, I think most gentlemen are very aware of their penis and how it works and how it doesn't. Okay, so 
an erect penis is not a homing device. It does not home in on the other penis in the scene, in the in the moment, or the vagina. It has to or be guided. Or the thing it's attracted to. It's not like a homing pigeon. It doesn't have the ability. It's not like magnets. There's no dick magnets. So if you're writing a scene and there are two men and there it's are two It's a divining rod. <laughs> these two penises are not just going to kind of slot together and rub against each other without help. That's not how that works. The penis is actually, um, it moves when it's erect, independently from the man a little bit. It jerks around. It's just a little jerky. Um, it, uh, <clears throat> it's going to follow the path of least resistance. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it's going to end up with two men that are on top of each other. It's not going to end up the dicks are like right there together because the dicks going to go to the left or the right. You know, because that's what they mean about men hanging from the left or the right. There's going to be a little inclination for the dick to go one way or the other. Um, or for down. For the most part. There, there might be or down. Because some men are, or they, you know, or they, or they big, might be bigger up. men. Bigger men don't necessarily rise quite as high as or smaller men. In and so the right direction or in the other direction. So really, you you really need to... I'm being very blunt here, obviously. Um, when you're writing um, that kind of scene with, with fraudage or um, jerking off together, there needs to be a hand between the men um, to guide those two penises together so that they can get that friction because it's not going to happen on its own. And also, um, when it comes to penetrative sex, the penis isn't going to automatically just find the hole. Now, it's going to have to be placed in the location you would like it to go. Because the penis, while it doesn't have a mind of its own, it doesn't have any decision-making ability either. <laughs> if you've never had sex with a man, you might not know this, but if they don't guide the penis in, it may end up almost in the wrong hole. Well, according to one of my friends, that actually did happen to her. I still because the vagina, that. the vaginal opening, and the anus are actually very close together. Um, they, are. they are indeed. And also, if you like, if you have like having really vigorous sex and he pops out, he can go skittering away uh, in a way that you think or down. he might be. He might or down in a way that you think might mean he's about to go. Where you didn't want, <laughs> it isn't going to happen. I mean, can, but, but it, you can be kind of like, oh no, don't. <laughs> it can go. I have actually had a man like jab like into the of my thigh, like the the the, moit, the joint of my thigh, or my where my body and my torso and thigh meet. Of that, you know that you know you know, in instead of getting the hole, <laughs> because it slipped yeah. out. Or miss um, and it goes so, skittering up right across your clit, which actually isn't really a bad thing. Depending on how hard like, it is. Depending on how hard, yeah. If it's super hard thrust, it's kind of like, ow, dude, what the hell? That, that, What's wrong with your aim? Terrible. That can be aggressively terrible. So, you know, so virgins, when you're writing about two men um, having sex or a man and a woman having sex, just keep in mind that the penis um, literally does not have any ability to navigate on its own. 
It has to be put where you want it to be. And they're remarkably uncooperative. So they don't stay where you put them. Lady holder, good grief. <laughs> They'll end up, you know, honestly, the, the, that's actually really accurate. That's just, you know, it, 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 does, it does look like it has a mind of its own, but it literally does not. Sounds like something out of Dune. A, a natural um, inclination um, during fraudage is for the penis to end up in the um, in the space between the leg and the and the body. Um, and the hip, the leg and the hip. It, yeah, that, that uh, little, up against the hip. That crease. Um, the crease. The, yeah. the thigh crease. It's, it, it's going to end up in the thigh crease, and that is perfectly okay for fraudage. Um, but getting two dicks to rub against each other, it, it literally requires a hand. Now, you have to ask yourself, how could Kira possibly know this? Because she doesn't have a penis. This is true. But I've watched a fuck ton of gay porn. And I've never, ever seen two penises just come together like magic and stay there and rub against each other. It just doesn't happen. It isn't like two snakes coming together and twining. <laughs> Especially better not be like it. Even though we've seen that written, the two snakes coming together and twining. Also, the whole, the whole, you kind of touched on this a little bit, as the whole kind of homing thing, like that they come to attention and point at what they want. No, they really don't. No, they really don't. They, they, they might come to attention, yes, and point at something, but the odds of, like, Derek's penis actually pointing at Styles as if it wants him, it just doesn't work that way. That, that doesn't really happen. Um, I have been in bed with two men at the same time. Who were just as interested in each other as they were me. So I have, I've seen those things happen in, in first person, so to speak. <laughs> and a second person. <laughs> it was a great time either way. <laughs> it is, it is fun. I'm just saying that you know you 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 can't treat the penis like it's um, capable of independent thinking and can and get and it's going to miss the hole sometimes if you don't put it where, where it needs to be. Um, now sometimes you can be in a really good position where and and just and it's a matter of luck to be honest, where the dick just falls just right where it, sh- it should be. And this mostly happens with vaginal sex. Um, and, you get, and you get it right, and I was like, oh, well, hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking baby. miracle. That happens. I'm not saying it doesn't. But it's um, the most disconcerting thing I see in, in, in fan fiction is this this sentient homing device penis. <laughs> I saw it yesterday, and I'm like, no, that, that that dude, that's not how that works. So, um, it really isn't how that works. Um, and um, also, vigorous fucking is great. It's it's very it's great. It's fantastic, but. You have to be really careful when you're pulling the dick completely out of the body and then shoving it back in because that's the way to break a dick. Literally, to break a dick. It's called penile fracture, and you don't want to have one of those in your (coughs) opinion. Because if I'm reading it and all I can think is, 
penile fracture inevitable. Don't break your dick. Don't break your dick, Tony. Please tie it up. Don't <laughs> break your dick, Tony. <laughs> what Completely we out is... of your, um, my headspace is gone. It's no longer it's sexy. I'm worried about his penis. <sighs> it's a Don't go. Please. Oh, sorry. It's there. Then I have to think, has this author ever seen a penis outside of an anatomy book? Do they even watch X-Tube? Do they know what X-Tube is? Have they ever touched a penis? I don't think they have. <laughs> if you're going to write porn, there's no excuse for not watching porn. <laughs> you can't say, I, well, I don't want... I, mean, did, I actually did talk to me once who did climb up on like a moral high or so. I would never watch porn. You'll read it, you'll write it, but you won't watch it. I I'm sorry I can't read this now because I can't read something by some, written by somebody who's that sanctimonious ever. I had one of my no. readers on my um, Kira site tell me they didn't read romance. It's all you write. I thought really is that what you think? <laughs> it was a Harry her body shipper. <laughs> That's all they read in fandom is romance, the dumbass. I was like, are you fucking serious right now? If Harry and Hermione is your OTP, you're reading the fuck out of romance. That's all you're reading. (coughs) Anyways. But yeah, the dick isn't sentient. It requires guidance. Actually, nothing. It's actually one of the things I love with pet peeves is, is nothing in the body is sentient. Hands, hands don't operate on their own. Boobs don't. Asses don't. Hips don't. The, every, everything is under the control of the person. They don't do things autonomously. Your eyes so, don't wonder. Your gaze does. Yes. If your eyes wondered, it would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't want anybody's doing? eyes dragging over somebody's body. That's really gross. That's really gross. It's the gaze, not the eyes. And for the love of everything holy, will you please stop using the word orb for eye? Oh, orbs. 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 <laughs> orbs. <clears throat> but really, I'm just... I'm serious about this dick thing. The dick is not sentient. I love cock. It's great. It's fantastic. It's awesome in all of its forms. Not all of its forms. I like big cocks. Um, <laughs> but it's not sentient. We're down to 40 seconds. You got anything to say? <laughs> uh, there's nothing I can say to lack of dick sentience. So, <laughs> good night, everybody. Bye.